0: I know usually on this podcast, I've been having either scientists and researchers or psychic mediums. And today I'm just doing a completely fun episode. Today's guest is Rebecca Williamson. She is owner of the Cambry House and Farm, a haunted wedding venue. She has been interested in the paranormal her entire life and has nearly 20 years of experience doing paranormal investigations. Rebecca bought the Cambrai house from her grandparents' estate in 2016 and hosts weddings and paranormal investigations. Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a sciencey skeptic. And when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder what the fuck just happened. I have an interesting guest today. Her name is Rebecca Williamson, and she has in her family a haunted house and just some great stories. And go ahead, Rebecca, tell everyone about your story.
1: Okay. So my grandparents bought this farm in the 70s, and it was a historic home that my grandmother had actually visited when she was a little girl. And when the home went up for auction, she just felt like she had to go see it, um, was wanted to buy it really bad. And my grandfather wasn't too keen on the idea, but he went out there to see it. And when they got there, it was exactly the way she remembered it when she was a little girl. And my grandfather fell in love with it at first sight and said, okay, let's do this. (laughs) And so they bought the home in 1979 with the intention of preserving the history of the home. They never intended to live there. They just loved history that much that they wanted to buy this home and preserve the history. So they went through the process, they put it on the National Register of Historic Places. They basically cared for and maintained the home up until they passed away. And they did like craft shows. We did family gatherings and things out there. but so it was kind of more like a vacation type home, but It was fun. (laughs) We loved being out there. I just have so many fun family memories of being out there at the farm. So then after they passed away, I bought it. And I just, it was, we we were trying to talk about what what we were going to do with it as a family. And they decided to sell it. And they talked to a realtor and the realtor came out and said, well, this home just has to be totally gutted and remodeled. If you were ever going to, you know, somebody's going to live in it. And I just, the idea of that kind of broke my heart. And so I bought it <laughs> and then said, oh my goodness, now what am I'm doing with this thing, <laughs> because I wasn't planning on moving into it either. It's a historic home that was built in the 1860s. So it's everything in the home for the most part is original to the 1860s. I mean, my grandparents added running water and there's electricity, but it's the same floor plan. Like even the windows are the original hand glass. It's really more like a museum than a house. So I said, well, you know, uh, over the years I had some cousins that got married out of the farm. So I thought, well, I'd open it up as a wedding venue. And so that's what I did. I opened it as a wedding venue and then realized it was haunted.
0: How, okay, so you growing up, you never thought of it as haunted. Your grandparents or parents ever said it was haunted? No. What made you realize it was haunted?
1: <laughs> I spent the night there for the first time because, like, when it, when I was growing up and it was dark and time to you know like, go to sleep, we we always just went to my grandparents' house because they didn't live that far away, and so we just never, I never spent the night out there. So like right after I bought it, I went out there to do some work and my sister came with me and my kids and stuff. And we spent that first night and we heard footsteps in the middle of the night that were definitely not one of us. We found that out in the morning, you know, like I thought it was my sister. My sister thought it was me and it was not either one of us. (laughs) So then we got to thinking like, well, wait a second. There were doors that opened in the house from the time my grandparents bought it, that the basement door, especially opened and closed on its own. And my grandparents had always just told us it was a drafty house and, you know, old houses that just, just happens that looking at it from a paranormal investigator standpoint, that door shouldn't have opened by itself because it, it latches. Solidly. It's not like you can jar it and make it open on its own. I've never been able to get a draft, you know, (laughs) you know, like opening the front door and back door and stuff to try and get a draft to open it. It doesn't open that way. But that door is opened often enough that all of us knew that door opened on its own. And looking back at that, we were definitely having paranormal activity. It's just we never attribute it to ghosts at that time.
0: When was the shift? What made you think? this is ghosts or discarnate consciousness or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Hearing the footsteps, hearing the footsteps was the big
1: shift. That was just kind of opened my eyes to what had been going on all along. You know, it was like, well, the footsteps were very loud and very distinctive. I definitely heard them and it was definitely not somebody that was with me. (laughs) And so then it was like, when, when you're thinking back, you know, I was like, well, what about that door thing that was going on? You know, that's, that wasn't a draft. That was, that could have been paranormal. So to kind of like reassure my mind, I reached out to a friend who was starting a paranormal team and they came out and did an investigation. And then that was the point where we knew we had activity for sure, for sure. They had a really active investigation, like all the equipment was going off and cold spots like crazy. And I mean, it was like an extremely active investigation that after that point, then we just had no doubts in our mind that we were definitely experiencing activity out there.
0: Very interesting. And so have other things continued to happen? Have other people reported? What I think so interesting too, is that all of you heard the footsteps at the same time. It was, it was one of those
1: things when it happened, it was like, well, wait, that's not, (laughs) that's not right. I think that was paranormal. That was a ghost. What
0: else happened next? So you said more stuff kept happening. So the door has
1: continued to open. I mean, we've caught that. I've caught that on camera once. Again, you know, like sitting there and debunking that door opening was really exciting to prove that that was a paranormal thing. Trying to make it open by causing a draft, but then, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. And then when it opens by itself then it's like, oh, I think that's paranormal.
0: Is there any consistency to it opening? Is there a certain time of day or
1: just random? No, it's just totally random. I wish it would be like a three o'clock every afternoon and then I could really catch it on video. But no, no, it is totally random. (laughs) So we've had the front door opens on its own and it locks. My mother gets locked out of the house pretty frequently. She will come over and she'll like rearrange furniture and help me out in that, in that own, you know, mother way where <laughs> she comes over and if she doesn't like curtains and she'll buy ones that she thinks they need. And anyway, she'll come over and she'll change things while I'm gone. And now she can't get into the house because her key won't work on the door.
0: So wait, so it'll, the door, front door will open. And then someone will step out and suddenly the door will lock or suddenly people's keys stop working. Like what happens exactly? Well, to back up,
1: (laughs) when it first started happening, um, it was the original lock that my grandparents had put on the door in the 80s. And um, my mom and my dad and my cousins and my sisters, they all had keys because, you know, it was a family property. And I was okay with that because they were helping me out and stuff. And one day my cousin's key would stop when it opened the door. It wouldn't work in the lock. And then my mother's key quit working and my sister's key quit working. And I just assumed, well, that lock is wearing out. I probably should change it before my key quits working, right? (laughs) So I changed the lock and then my mother's key still doesn't work in the lock. And it's a brand new lock and a brand new key, but my mom's key won't work. So we trade keys. Mom comes over again, still can't get it in the house. Her key won't work. My sister's key quit working again, <laughs> but my key opens the door every time. My key always opens the door.
0: Wait, your key, no matter who has it or whatever, like your mom's no. key won't work. No, like I pass off my keys to my
1: mother and she still can't get in the house. And then she gives you hers and it works. Yeah, there was one instance where she was cleaning at the house, doing something, and she went out to the car to get something out of the car, and the front door shut behind her and locked. And
0: does it automatically lock when it closes?
1: You have to turn the thumb latch to lock it. So no, it, it shut and locked,
0: because <laughs> she'd, she'd been in, she'd actually got
1: in that time, but apparently she did something that really irritated everybody, and they locked her out. And then there was one day, well, the last time I asked her to let somebody in for me, because I can't always be there. And if somebody needs to go into the house, I I used to ask mom to go over there. And this one day she's like, well, you know, my key doesn't always work. And I'm worried about letting them in. She's like, and I said, don't worry. I'll go there in the morning. I'll unlock it. So it'll be unlocked. And you just are there to make sure they get in. And so I unlocked it at seven o'clock in the morning, flipped on some lights, made sure everything was good. I left at seven, she got there at nine and the door was locked and she couldn't get in. So yeah, no, mom doesn't get asked to let people in anymore because it just never reliably works for her. On the flip side of that though, I've come out there and the door has been open. My My key always opens the door, but there was one day where I had a construction worker out there and he was doing some work that morning. And I knew I was going to miss him by like a couple hours. So he knew I was coming. I knew he'd been there. And when I got there, the front door was left open. And I had to go to the bathroom really bad that particular day. So I was really excited about just being able to run in the house and not have to mess with keys and everything. And I, you know, I sent him a quick text message and I said, hey, I made it. Thanks for leaving the door open for me. The repair work looks great, you know? And he messaged me back right away, pretty upset because he had locked the door and shut it and it shouldn't have been opened. And he was, he was upset that I thought he left it open when he's like, no, no, I shut that. It's locked. There shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. And so then I had to go through the house and make sure there wasn't anybody there, but there wasn't, it's like, they, they knew I was coming. They knew I had to go to the bathroom. So they opened the door for me.
0: So they sound like they kind of are kind, like they're taking care of you or maybe mischievous. A little on the mischievous side. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: there was one day where I had a furnace guy coming out to look at the house. And he told me he was going to get there at one. So I left at noon to go get lunch. And I came back at 1230 and he was walking out of the house. Like the furnace guy had showed up while I was gone and the the house had been unlocked. <laughs> Even though I'd locked the door, he the house was unlocked and he got in and he was finished with the furnace by the time I got there. So it's good it was unlocked. Like they knew the furnace guy was there. It was like, oh yeah, come on in,
0: you know. (laughs) You said that other things have happened too. There's a ton of stuff that's happened. So
1: my son actually has the best ghost stories. I love his because he stayed out there for about six months after he graduated from high school. And he had wild stuff happen. there was one day where it was snowing and it was like the very first snowfall of the season. It was big, fat, fluffy flakes. And I told him to go outside and take a picture of the house in the snow. So I could use it, you know, cause I needed pictures <laughs> and like, I'll oh, take a picture of the house in the snow. So he went outside, walked out to his truck, you know, snapped a quick picture of the house, got something out of his truck. And when he turned around, there was a person standing at the side of the house and the, he looked at the person, the person looked at him and they both got kind of startled. And the person turned and ran around the back side of the house. And, you know, there's a fresh layer of snow on the ground. So my son's like, well, you know, I'll just grab a flashlight because it's dusk, you know, and he goes in, he grabs the flashlight and he's like, I'll just follow the tracks in the snow and make sure they left because he didn't really want to confront the person, but he wanted to make sure that they'd left the property. And so he came back out with the flashlight. He walked around to the corner of the house expecting to see footprints. And it was a fresh layer of snow with no prints at all. In fact, the entire backyard was pristine layer of snow. And he was really (laughs) very startled. and just that whole you know he he hadn't been like 20 feet away from this person and he clearly saw them, and then they were gone
0: so he saw them run watch the whole thing it wasn't snowing at that moment where a fresh layer would be covering footsteps there was just snow on the ground and he watched right. them run and then there were just there was no sign no footprints I mean it was a fresh layer of snow it was snowing but there was like About an inch and a
1: half of snow on the ground. So there would have been footprints. If there was a person there, there would have been prints. You know, he would have been able to follow the prints in the snow, but nothing, absolutely nothing.
0: Was he scared? Did he think it was fun? Like, I would find this so cool. I mean, I wouldn't say I would know what was going on, but I would be like, that is, I would love if stuff like that would happen to me. It never does. He he called me and I can always tell by the tone in his
1: voice when he called because I get this, mom. You know, and he was like, oh, mom, he calls and he tells me what's happened. I mean, he was he was always a little startled, but he stayed out there. I mean, it doesn't scare him away from staying at the house.
0: Have any of your friends seen stuff? It sounds like your whole family has. Yeah, I mean, they've all
1: had their own experience out there with. Either like they've come out to do an investigation with me or just had their own experience. Like I said, mom, (laughs) mom is always calling me, telling something that happened to her. It seems like, and my cousins, a lot, a lot of my cousins have come out for ghost tours. My grandfather seems to be pretty active in the house. So when we're doing a ghost tour, we've gotten some responses from my grandfather, which is really exciting for us to have that kind of communication with him and, you know, been able to ask him if he enjoys what I'm doing out there at the farm, if he likes that. And we have gotten confirmation that he does. And
0: how do you know <laughs> it's your grandfather? What makes you think that's him? Well, just asking. I mean, we've
1: got usually uh, dowsing rods asking yes, no questions. Who was here? Is it male? Is it female? Yes, it's male. And, and then asking if it's my grandfather and then getting the confirmation that yes, it is.
0: Can you describe the dowsing rods and what you mean, how that would work? Because I don't know if all our listeners know what that means. Okay. Yeah.
1: So dowsing rods are actually used to find water. It's two copper wires bent into an L shape and you hold them kind of loosely in your hands. When they're using them to find water, they'll walk across, you know, an area where they're looking for it. And when it crosses, then you've found water and still used today. So. When you're using them for a, like an investigation, you hold them loosely, sitting down, sitting still, standing still, and then ask the question, you know, you know, and usually yes, no, and, and cross for yes, uncross for no, or vice versa. Starting in advance and saying, you know, can you cross for yes, and they'll cross and then uncross. So it's kind of useful to get like that yes, no, yes, no questions answered pretty readily.
0: The man that your son saw, it's not anyone he'd recognize or no one who looks like they'd be in your family. No, no. Actually, we think
1: that is probably a Native American. I mean, he was close enough, but he didn't really get a good look. It was at dusk. But we kind of think that's Native American. Um, I've got a lot of Native American activity out in the yard. There are two, possibly three Native American burial mounds on my property that in the 1820s, all the bones and artifacts were taken out and sold. I had the local Native American council. I've worked with them a little bit and they came out and they verified that what I have are desecrated Indian mounds. They were kind enough to do a blessing ceremony for me out there. So, you know, kind of trying to pay my respects there a little bit. But the yard itself outside, well, I said, my son saw that ghost, <laughs> and then we've got we've seen some shadow figures walking around in the yard, and then there's a feeling of just like watchfulness while you're outside, especially after dark. It just feels like just feels like you're being watched, <laughs> not not in a mean way. I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe, but not in like more like a protective way. I had a guy who was mowing my yard. And he had stopped. He got a phone call. He stopped mowing, sat down at at the table by the house and took out his wallet and forgot his wallet. And so after dark, he'd realized that he'd forgotten his wallet and he comes out there to go get the wallet. And he said it was the most uncomfortable feeling ever. And he said he will never, ever (laughs) do that again he's like it can wait till morning he's like that's not gonna happen again (laughs) he felt like there were beings around him or is it like physically hurt he said it just felt like like people were watching him he just felt very watched he felt like he shouldn't be out there he said it was just a very uncomfortable watched feeling that he had and He's not, he's not a believer in ghosts. So, (laughs) which was kind of funny that, you know, here's my lawn mowing guy. I mean, he's not, he's a pretty big guy and not really afraid of mud. He's not going to go out there and get after dark. He told me flat out, that's not going to (laughs) happen. I was totally fine with him going to get his wallet after dark. I mean, it wasn't that big a deal, but the the idea that it scared him that much just kind of cracked me up. (laughs)
0: Do you know the history of the house at all before
1: your grandparents got it? Oh, yeah, sure. So part of my what my grandparents did to put it on the National Register was going through and getting the history of the home. So it was built in 1867 by French Icarians Adolph and Hortense Cambry. The Icarians were a movement birthed out of the French Revolution where they came over to have a communal society. They came to Nauvoo and then... We're with this communal society. It was like a hippie commune where you sold everything you owned and you lived together and worked together in one communal society. They left the Icarians and bought my property in 1860 and built a one-room cabin there while they were building the big six-room home that stands there today. And The Cambry family owned my property until 1979. So there were four generations of Cambrys that lived out on the home. And and then, like I said, in 1979, my grandparents bought it at auction. So it was a working apple orchard from the 1850s until around the 1940s. Apple trees have a lifespan of around 100 years. So that was around the lifespan of the apple trees. And yeah, it was a happy home. It was just their home. Adolph and Hortense had 10 kids, and out of 10 kids, two died in childhood. Um, so Eglantine Cambry died at the age of nine on the property, and she was buried out there in a, in a grave, an unmarked grave. The family knew where it was, but they didn't have a marker out there. After Adolph and Hortense passed away, two of their children, Fritz and Anita, took over running the farm. Fritz and Anita never married and they never had any children, but they lived basically their whole lives on the farm. And then after Fritz and Anita passed away, their nephew Robert took over running the farm. And that's who my grandparents bought the property from.
0: Do you think any of the ghosts could possibly be the original anyone from that huge family? We actually have some pretty good theories. Um, We really think Eglantine Cambry
1: is our most active spirit out there. Again, confirmed through doing investigations, multiple investigations. Eglantine is usually pretty chatty when we get out equipment. So she, like I said, she died at the age of nine. She actually died before they completed work on the house. But like when we're doing investigations, she just says that this is her home and she was happy. She she liked being there with her family and she didn't want to leave. Like I said, Eglantines are most active. The son, Fritz, who took over running the farm. He's usually semi-active. He's the one I think is locking the doors. <laughs> um, I have some letters that he'd written talking about how how he liked having the farm run. Robert had taken over a little bit before um, Fritz passed away. So there's letters that Fritz wrote complaining about the way Robert was taking care of things. So, and Fritz's bedroom upstairs is... The one that usually seems to be the most active, one of one of the more active rooms. So, so there's Fritz, and then you know a few of the other Cambries pop in every now and again. But Eglantine seems to be our most active one.
0: You said you found this out through paranormal investigation team. Yeah, I, I think you said this team are your friends. I'm so curious how you found them <laughs> and a little bit about the teams and what an investigation is like. I went to high school
1: with a Chad Derry who started a paranormal team called Augusta Paranormal based out of Augusta, Illinois. And so, yeah, they were starting their team right around the time that I'd bought the home. So they came out and did investigations. And so what that entails is like, they bring all their equipment out, K2 EMF detectors, temperature gauges, thermal imaging cameras, basically what you see on ghost hunters, Or the you know the TV shows. There's there's a lot of teams around Iowa, Illinois, and stuff that you know go look for ghosts. (laughs) And there's all kinds of different equipment too. Those are kind of like the highlight. And dowsing rods, like I said, yes, no questions are kind of fun with the dowsing rods, like I explained before. There's ITC devices, spirit box It kind of skips through radio stations really quickly, and there. The theory is that spirits are energy and electricity and they're able to manipulate that energy and electricity of the radio frequencies to then put out a voice. So, scanning through radio stations very fast and then you, you'll hear voices, words, snippets of songs or whatever. So, a lot of times you'll get a bunch of garbage, junk, Static, (laughs) but occasionally you will get like responses that are more like you ask a question and then get a word or sentence back in response.
0: Hey everyone, I'm really excited to let you know about the science and spirituality salons I'm now hosting. During these intimate events, a scientifically verified psychic medium will give all of you readings. And I will give a talk on the science and evidence that changed my mind about an afterlife. So also be an amazing opportunity to get to meet some of you in person or virtually and to share more about all the science and data that transformed my worldview and got me through my worst days. These can be hosted in your home, in a nearby cafe with a private room, or they can even be virtual. I've hosted a few already, and they were really special, fascinating, emotional, evidential. So if you're interested in getting a small group together over dinner, brunch, drinks, coffee, to learn more about the science and to get evidential medium readings, send me an email at hello at wtfjusthappen.net and put science and spirituality in the title.
1: You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ spiritual
0: people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, And start listening.
1: You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts.
0: So you'll hear a voice actually recorded. Yes. And that is... It's called if anyone knows, like, uh, wants to know electronic voice phenomena. And have you yeah. studied that, or are you this just all yeah. started to happen? But yeah, I mean, I have studied it
1: a little bit. I've been interested in the paranormal for a long time, but you know, obviously, I got into it a lot more after I, <laughs> I started doing investigations at the house. Yeah, uh, EVPs, um, electronic voice phenomena. Typically, you can just set out an audio recorder and ask questions and and pause and then see when you play back that tape in the pause where nothing was going on like sometimes you will hear a voice or a sentence and stuff and then uh, sometimes you'll hear when you hear an audio response like actually hear it with your ears that's called a disembodied voice ITC like I said that's a spirit box communication it's a little bit a little bit different than the EVP for recording. Sure. You can just use your phone. You don't need to buy
0: any special recorders,
1: do you? No, you do not need to buy any special recorders.
0: What's it, the difference between I actually didn't know there was a difference? What's the difference between EVP and ITC? The
1: EVP, you don't have to, it just happens. It, it just you you don't have to do anything special. You just hit record on any voice recorder, even your phone, and then play it back, and you'll hear the voice so you won't hear it when it happens but you'll hear it on the playback the spirit box the itc device it's spitting out um static words you know things you'll hear that in real time so yes it'll be on your recorder too but you will hear that in real time so it's more like the manipulation of the actual sound from the static device
0: Have you ever looked up, and this is also a great resource for anyone listening, Sonia Rinaldi, she specializes in ITC, I believe, or EVP. I I had, (laughs) there was a difference (laughs) until the second, and she specializes, like, helping people with grief connect with using ITC EVPs. ITC is,
1: I think, revolutionary for the ghost thing, because doing an investigation where you're hearing the response in real time is amazing. I mean, to sit down and do an investigation with like just a plain recorder and then play this responses back and listen for them. I mean, that's one thing and and you're getting the response, but it's not like you can have a conversation. The ITC, you can have like an actual conversation. Like talking to you, you ask a question, I give a response, and then you ask another question based off of my response. And like, you hear
0: it in live time with ITC. Yes. Yeah. Have, yeah. Have you had that happen yet? Has it worked? Yeah. Let's hear about it. Oh, my, wow. We tell the story. It, it's a lot of fun to do an
1: investigation with ITC. This one was Facebook Live. We were doing this one Facebook Live. And so this was, uh, I had Traveler's Moon out. I'm doing an investigation. So you'll see it on if you want to you know, look through their Facebook Lives. That's where this recording is. And so we're sitting there, and she's got the Facebook Live with the chat and her partner, the other part of Travelers Moon, headphones on. So he's listening to the ITC device with headphones on and then speaking what he hears. He can't hear the questions that we're asking, he can only hear the responses. So Doing that is called the Estes method. It kind of gives you like a double blind because when you're listening to static, you can hear what you want to hear sometimes. And so by doing it that way, it kind of removes a little bit of the ex- hearing what you expect to hear. So, anyway, he's one of um, our friends popped into the Facebook chat and it was Chad Derry, who is actually part of Guest of Paranormal, who's been out there to do a lot of investigations. So Kelly, my friend who's watching the chat and the Facebook live says, oh, Chad's here. Hi, Chad. And the person who was listening to the ITC says dairy. And we're like, ah, and, the, and he's just kind of sitting there going, he's thinking cows. He's thinking we're talking about cows at this point. And then, and then he says, Chad, and that's when it clicks into him that we're talking about Chad dairy. Wait, on the
0: ITC box, he heard Derry, then Chad Derry. Did you hear this? So there was a person who was doing the ITC box who said, I'm hearing Chad on this. I'm hearing Derry. Yeah, somebody else. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's listening to the ITC with headphones on. So he's the only one who can hear it, but he can't hear the questions or anything else that's going on in the room around him. And remind me, what was the question? At this point, there really wasn't a question. We were just kind of chatting, you know, talking on the Facebook Live. We're at the Cambry House doing an investigation, blah, blah, blah. And then people are popping up in the chat room and and she's saying, oh, hi, I see you. That kind of thing was going on. And like I said, he just randomly said dairy right as Chad came into the chat room and then said Chad afterwards. So did he
0: see Chad come in or was it he didn't even see him? No, Your he, he had, had no can't see any of the Facebook
1: live or anything. We're videoing him for the Facebook live. So he couldn't see any of that. He had no clue any of that was going on. Obviously, he knew he was being videotaped. But yeah, the the coincidence of Chad being coming into the chat room, just as he said that was that one was really good. There was another one where this one is kind of weird because we start our ghost tours. When I do a ghost tour at the farm, we start out in the barn and I give them like some history of the location and, and then, you know, hot spots and that sort of stuff. So this particular night, the guest comes in for the ghost tour and he goes to sit down on the bench in the barn and his wedding ring falls off. And I'm panicking, thinking he's going to lose the ring in the barn, but it wasn't a big deal. He picks it up, he puts it back on. The entire interaction was like 30 seconds. The only comment was, whoo, glad you found that, you know? <laughs> and so then later on, he goes into the house and he's doing the investigation. And he'd been downstairs and the rest of the group was upstairs. And again, they're doing the Estes method for the ITC. And just as he walks upstairs to rejoin the rest of the group, Ring is called out from the ICC. And the, the entire group who witnessed him dr- lose his ring was just blown away. They're like, oh, my gosh. And the paranormal team who hadn't seen any of that happen was like, what? <laughs> you know, they, they didn't understand the significance of it because they'd been in the house And they're hearing
0: ring on the ITC as this man's ring falls off or shortly after. So they're in one room hearing ring on this ITC. This other man outside his ring is falling off. And they're kind of like, why are we hearing ring? So that's what was going on? Kind of. (laughs) So the ring had
1: fallen off like about a half hour before. But the man whose ring had fallen off had just walked upstairs. So he had just walked up to the top of the stairs when it says ring. And like I said, the entire tour group knew exactly what it was referencing. And the paranormal team was like, why are you so excited? I don't understand because they hadn't been out in the barn and they didn't see any of that, any of that interaction. And, and it was so insignificant that nobody had thought to mention it to the team. It wasn't like a big deal. But to get that over the ITC at that point was just really exciting.
0: That's such a fun story. It
1: is. It is. And the idea that the ghosts in the barn had seen that. And then I don't know if they came with them into the house or if they just told the ghost in the house. I don't know. I don't know. It's fun to speculate. How did that information go from here to there?
0: Do you participate in other investigations or you just have them at your house? Do you consider yourself an investigator? I kind of consider myself
1: kind of an investigator. I don't really have a team, but I'm friends with a lot of teams at this point. And when they're going on an investigation, I get invited along. I've been to Waverly Hills and Missouri State Penitentiary and, and several in Iowa and around, I get, I get invited sometimes. So that's, that's fun for me to get out and see other haunted locations and and just relax and investigate and not be in charge of an event <laughs> or or in charge of a location. It's kind of it's more fun to go and relax every now and again.
0: And what were your beliefs about all of this before? Before you got the house, did you think ghosts were real and afterlife was real? And- I definitely believed in ghosts.
1: I've always loved ghost stories. Ghost stories are. I've loved those since I was a little kid. I just always checked out books in the library when, you know, my grade school library even had a few little ghost books and I checked them all out and read all of them. And I just, I loved the stories. And for one of my birthdays, I had a girlfriend that bought tickets for me to go on a ghost tour. So we'd gone out on this big ghost tour for my birthday and it was so much fun and I loved it. And you know, people are always like, well, did you buy the house knowing it was haunted? And I was like, well, I didn't really think about this house being haunted. It just, it was something that had been in my family forever. And, you know, when you grow up with something, you don't necessarily think about it like that. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> I, I definitely afterwards. Like I said, when when we got the, that footsteps the first time, that was when kind of like, oh, wait a second. <laughs>
0: And nothing weird happened there when you were a kid, though. definitely the door
1: situation. Like I said, that door opened often enough that when we were having a big event, they would put one of us grandkids there by that door to make sure it would stay shut. And that's how often that basement door opened.
0: That was always, I thought that was more recent only. only.
1: No, that's happened since the day my grandparents bought the house. Always happened. You know, there's a few other things, but it's kind of like, I don't know if that was paranormal or not type thing. My sister remembers, uh, she's a little bit younger than I am. So I was in school a lot when they were doing some work out of the house. But my sister was there by herself. But she said there was always a kid to play with when she was out there. There was always a kid to play with. And she's right. Like every time we were out there, there were always kids to play with. Was it a ghost or was it a kid? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That one, I'm not entirely sure if that was paranormal or not, but it might have been. <laughs> I know that there would have been times that we were out there and there weren't other kids. I know for sure. But at the same point in time, I never remember going out there not having some other kid to play with. So, yeah, like I said, I don't know that that's paranormal or not, but maybe maybe. Maybe. Like the more, the more you think about it, the more I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I was playing with Eglantine Cambria as a kid and just didn't think anything of it.
0: There's a cool story along those lines that, do you know, Lloyd Arbach and his work? He's he's no, I don't think so. You should look him up. He's a, he's like a well-known, really amazing parapsychologist. I've taken classes with him. I've had him on this podcast and he he told a really cool story, and I mean, he's like a hardcore investigator. He's a stage magician, so he really knows how to find every trick. And he's worked with a lot of, you know, the scientifically researched mediums and the scientists. And I forget all the details of who, but it's basically like there was someone, a little kid, and they kept playing in with this one little kid who was in the yard of this house, or mm-hmm. maybe it was their neighbor. I forget exactly. And they mentioned something and to their parents or something. And the parents are, are like, what? There, there's no kid with that, that, like that around here. And they get the name of the kid. Uh-huh. And it turns out in the house across the street, and I might have a few of the facts wrong, is an elderly woman on hospice in a coma, I believe, or in between. No. And they see photos of her as a little kid. And it was that kid. Oh, so that's neat. Yeah, she's unconscious. Yeah. And it's just, it's very interesting. When dudes our consciousness leave our body? You know, she, yeah. she comes alive on life support. It is
1: very cool. And like you said, you know, when you're kids, I think your mind's a little bit more open to that sort of thing. And like I said, I know that every time we were out there, there was always a kid to play with. I mean, we always had somebody to play with out in the yard. and We always... But like knowing my mom and my grandma and stuff, we were out there with just them. So I don't know. Again, I don't know if that was paranormal. I don't know for sure, for sure. We never attributed it at the time to being paranormal. Let's put it that way. But now looking back on it, I wonder, I wonder. Can't just sometimes be very evidence-based and sometimes just have fun with these
0: stories and talk about them.
1: It is. It is fun. It is fun. And one of, one of my favorites from one of my son was out there. He was, we had a live stream set up where they put a static camera upstairs and they were going to just live stream all night long. You know, people could watch the house. So no investigation going on. It's just, they're just going to watch like, okay, whatever. And, <laughs> you know, people do that. People do that. We're going to watch and see if there's something that happens. So my son knew this was going to happen. And I warned him in advance. I told him what time. And so anyway, when the live stream starts, I pop on to make sure that everything's working. Okay. And as I'm watching the live stream, we all hear footsteps. And I got like, people in the chat going, is there somebody in the house? I hear somebody walking around. And so I sent my son a text message like, did, did you forget about the live stream? It's going on right now. Why are you walking around? And <laughs> the poor kid, <laughs> he, uh, Not only was he not walking around, he was sitting on the couch with headphones on watching a movie because he knew the live stream was starting. So he was trying to be quiet. And so, yeah, he put on headphones and was watching a movie. And so he took off the headphones and he too could hear the footsteps walking around upstairs. And he's like, this is why I watch movies with headphones on. So I don't have to listen to any of this. (laughs) Could people hear it on the live stream? Uh, Yeah, I was an hour away, so I wasn't anywhere close to, you know, I'm watching the live stream, the whole chat room. We're all hearing the footsteps walking around. And, you know, of course, they're like, well, who's in the house? Who's in the house? And that's what made me think that maybe my son was walking around. And so I thought maybe he'd forgotten what time it was or something like that. But now he had remembered and he was not walking around. And the other interesting thing is we were hearing bootsteps. And he was sitting in his stocking feet and he'd taken off his shoes hours before that. And so he wasn't even anywhere. But then when he takes off the headphones and he too could hear like somebody walking around upstairs and, and knowing that he was alone in the house, that was just really cool. Really cool that we were hearing it and he was hearing it, but not there.
0: Have you ever had psychic mediums come out to the house or energy intuitives? And if so, what did they have to say?
1: yeah we've had a few of them usually they'll pick up on eglantine right away we had one that um she came through and she says yes there's a little girl here and then she also said that there was a little boy and i said well yes i've got documentation on the little girl i've got all kinds of information about her so she's telling us about the little girl she says well she's a twin and i and i'm like yes and she's like and the boy's a twin and i said I don't know anything about a boy, but the little girl's a twin. And she's like, well, the boy died at the age of nine. And I said, well, the girl died at the age of nine. I said, you're right there. Anyway, it goes on like this for quite a while where she's just really positive. There's a little boy and she's giving me all the information about the little girl. And I'm like, well, it's a girl. And she's like, no, it's a boy. <laughs> and she came, she's come out there several times. And every time she picks up on a girl and a boy. So we had this kind of like a little bit of an argument going on because guy. Got documentation on this uh, of the girl. And anyway, about a year and a half later, when I'm like going through my Cambry family genealogy, I finally found the little boy she was talking about. And he, as well, died at the age of nine. He was also a twin, like Eglantine. Um, he died around 1900. She died in 1864. And what took me so long to find him is he is the grandson of the Cambries. And he would have lived on the farm down the road, but he didn't actually live on the property. And so he definitely would have spent a lot of time out there. Like I said, his parents lived just down the road. So he would have spent time out there. I kind of was able to finally <laughs> confirm that she was picking up on a little girl and a little boy. Now, the little boy's name is Lewis. He's not as active or as vocal as Eglantine, but several of the mediums have picked up on him in the house.
0: I guess there's three different... Thoughts. So I'll ask you first this one. Okay. Like sometimes they think it's your own mind. Psychokinesis, PK, like mind's ability to affect matter, the way people can bend spoons. And if anyone's listening to other podcasts, I know some people will say spending bending spoons is a magic trick. It is, but it's also real because I did it and I <laughs> witnessed right. it. So right. to what extent do you think it's discarnate consciousness, ghosts versus maybe some of it is coming from you guys unintentionally, psychokinesis. I mean, like
1: sometimes, it's sometimes, especially when we're investigating, there are times when you're like, okay, to me, the ITC device is one of those things. It is just so staticky. And I personally can't listen to it for long periods of time because it just, and and like that pareidolia thing or paraecholia or whatever you want to call it, you know, your, your mind hears what you want it to hear, which is why I like to do the ITC method or the, the Estes method where you, one person is listening. And so they don't have that pre bias of knowing the question and listening for the answer they want to hear. Like I said, there, I know there's some of that goes on and then like, sometimes there's stuff that will happen that like the wind, I've, there's walnuts out there. I have like these huge walnut trees. So the wind blows and a walnut falls and hits the roof and people get all excited thinking that oh my gosh it's a ghost and it's like no that's a walnut you know and you, you, sometimes you want something to happen so bad that you you give uh, a normal activity a paranormal spin assuming that a, a walnut is a ghost <laughs> but then there's other times that like the footsteps and, and the doors and stuff. It's really annoying to have my mom get locked out of the house. <laughs> I can tell you that it's just very annoying, especially like when I need her there to unlock the house and she can't. And, you know, I make a light of it. It's actually kind of humorous, but it's also extremely annoying when I've got a group that's come out there to see the house they're expecting to get in.
0: And now they can't
1: because my mom's key won't open the door. <laughs>
0: And just what are your thoughts on this hauntings versus apparitions? And this yes. is a thing Lloyd Arbach wonders, and I'll just explain it for listeners. One is where it's an imprint, like a recording. It's still paranormal. It's still inexplicable, but there's like an imprint of the person who lived there at that time. And it's like watching a video. Their yeah. actor, actress might not still be alive, but it's like a recording. And the other is a consciousness where the Consciousness survives bodily death and the consciousness of the past one is actually there to engage with. And do you have a thought of which this tends to be at your Um, location? So the first I would describe
1: is residual, um, a residual haunting. So the way I try to explain it to people is, you know, we're energy and electricity and And the more that we are living in a location, the more energy that we are expending in that location. And so like wood and stone and stuff can hold on to that energy that we are expending. You know, you think about, you know, like running up and down the stairs, all that energy is left in the stairs. And so to think about a house that's over 150 years old with like 10 kids that lived in it or something like that it seems almost natural to think that you are going to still hear the footsteps, the echoes go up and down the stairs. And so, yes, I think that we definitely have some residual energy out there, that type of stuff, the intelligent haunting, like the spirits, you know, that intelligent left behind to me, like when I'm describing that to people, I usually say, you know, it's what you typically think of when you think of a ghost, you know, asking questions, getting the responses. When I talk about Eglantine or Fretz Cambry locking people out of the house or something like that, or unlocking the door, that is the intelligent response. They tell us like during the investigations and stuff that this is just their home and they just, they're they happy here and they just chose not to leave. And again, I think part of, part of those questions Answers to those questions are why we do investigations to try and figure out why they're there. What are we experiencing in this paranormal phenomenon? You know, is it the, the residual energy? Is it the intelligent hunting? You know, like what is causing this? And sometimes it is a natural explanation of a walnut falling and hitting the roof. You think might be paranormal, but in fact is totally explainable. And then, and then the other times are the why we go ghost hunting, trying to trying to find it and and, and catch it on tape because it's fun to be able to tell the story, but it's another to be able to show you that it actually happened and show you that it was paranormal. It's fun.
0: What is the biggest you would say, like biggest what the fuck that you've ever encountered? So last fall, th- this one was more of a what,
1: what what you know, just like what the heck? The last fall. You know, I do my last investigation of the year and I'm like doing another walkthrough. And during the slow seasons, I try to go through like closets and cabinets and organize. So the upstairs attic I had on my list to go through and organize. So the end of the year, I'm walking through the house after the last investigation and the attic door will not open. Something, it feels like something's fallen against that door and I can't get in there. There's no window to get in that room. So I'm like shoving the door. I can't get it open. This goes on all winter long months and months. I cannot get into this closet. And like, I go out there a few times a month and kind of do a walkthrough and check on things. And so every time I'm there, I'm trying to get the store open and it will not open. And I am so upset and frustrated because that was my plan. My winter project just to organize this closet and I can't get in there. And right before the first investigation this spring, it finally popped open and it was a walnut. Somehow, half of a walnut shell had gotten wedged under the door and that was what was holding it shut. And I was like, what the heck? (laughs) How, how does this happen? How does it get wedged that solidly under the door that months, like three, four months of me wiggling the door does not knock that loose. How does it happen right after the last investigation and open right before the next investigation?
0: And you had you been peeling walnuts in there or anything? I have no idea why there was a walnut
1: shell in there. I don't know. I really don't. Uh, maybe a mouse? I don't know. But how is the mouse going to wedge that? I, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Oh. Is that paranormal? Is it not? I don't know. But it was how? All these have been such fun stories. I feel like this is one of the most fun conversations I've had. I feel (laughs) like I'm like 10 years old sitting at camp telling ghost stories. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. Christina asks, I tend to believe that our souls reincarnate. So if that could be true, how does a medium reach a soul that is already reincarnated for readings? I had the same question early on. So I'll start with what two different mediums told me when I asked this, and then I'll explain it how I see it now. So I asked Lorlyn Jackson, and she explained that it was a lot like a maypole, and that was how her teacher had explained it to her. And that just heads up that we as humans won't really understand this. It just Can't isn't something our brains can really process. But picture a maypole. The center of that is our consciousness, and each ribbon is a life. So we experience each life in a time sequence while here. But the way it seems to work on the other side is that our core consciousness, that's who we fully are, is like the center of the pole. And all our lives are going on at the same time. And The center is what the medium speaks to. And again, none of us as humans, including Laura, I'm assuming including her teacher, can really process that exactly because we process everything in linear time while here. And then the next medium that I asked, Doreen Malloy said something very similar. Doreen described a bicycle wheel and In the center of this bicycle wheel is our main consciousness and that's what the medium connects with. And all the spokes within the bicycle wheel that come out of the center is like another life. And this is the best way I can explain it as I see it. I think our main consciousness is a type of quantum particle, like our main consciousness that's on the other side. Maybe there are different levels of quantum particles or different clusters, and maybe one day we will get a machine such as a much more advanced large hadron collider, like much, much more advanced, and it will be able to measure what this non-local consciousness is made of, the type of quantum particles, and who knows, we'll be able to measure them. And then this quantum particle mass is the core of our consciousness, and it probably is in another dimension, somehow tied into string theory, and it entangles with a brain and body during a specific lifetime. But after the lifetime, your life and all the information uploads back into the quantum consciousness, and it's another experience that becomes part of the main you. and. When the medium's communicating, it's communicating with that stored cloud-like quantum consciousness. It's like a cloud bank of sorts. And in a way, all three of us are pretty much saying the same thing. The only thing I'm saying differently is I'm not saying all these lives are going on at the same time. I could be wrong. I just can't even explain that so I don't (laughs) add that part. I kind of stick when I explain it with time still being linear. So none of this is a fact but it all seems to be the best hypotheses we have so far and I hope that helps. If you have a question you want me to answer send it to hello at wtfjust happened.net, and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What The Fuck Just Happened?, a sciencey skeptic explores grief, healing, and evidence of an afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife. Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how, as a science minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife, and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance. But that's balanced by some amazing peer reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappen.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. Club Care is a charity organization founded by Emma Justice after the loss of her father, David Justice to glioblastoma. Club Care is dedicated to supporting children and families dealing with cancer. They strive to create joyful moments through meaningful projects impacting individual families as well as larger oncology communities. Funding for all projects is raised through philanthropic donations. Go to makingheadway.org/clubcare programs for a complete list of programs and activities. Find you if someone wants to do a tour or find your website. I'm pretty much Cambry
1: everywhere you go. So C A M B R E, CambryHouse.com. I'm Cambry Period House on Instagram, Cambry House on Facebook, and Cambry House on TikTok. So pretty much at this point, if you type Cambry into a search engine, I should come up somehow or another. I I always love telling ghost stories.
0: more information on what the fuck just happened go to wtfjusthappened.net. there you can order my book what the fuck just happened a sciency skeptic explores grief healing and evidence of an afterlife and you can learn all about how i came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife you can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore, or email me at hello at WTF just net. And remember, You don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened.